we don't necessarily do any sort of due diligence or do any sort of, you know, fact checking because it sounds like, oh, well, it could be true. And then Beyonce number, that 4.5 billion, mm-hmm. sounds like it should be true considering mm-hmm. just how much people were engaged and how much people were into the Renaissance tour. And I saw that number yesterday also, and I didn't share it, but I could have. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? And I have no idea. Right. <laughs> exactly. Where, how that was tabulated. I have no idea where the original source of that was. Exactly. You know what I mean? No idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> right. Exactly. We love Beyonce. <laughs> you know what I mean? So boom, you just share that number. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, everyone, to a very, very, very special episode of Stuck with Damon Young. So social media is still in its relative infancy, which is one of the reasons why it's so jarring and disconcerting that social media literacy matters as much as it does. And it's outright fucking terrifying that our collective social media literacy is so bad. Anyway, today I'll be joined by Gene Demby of NPR's Code Switch to talk about the material impacts of this illiteracy how dangerous it is to be untethered to a reliable news source, and how everything we consume, including the sports we watch, is dictated by intentional misinformation too. All right, y'all. Let's get it. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Gene Demby is one of the hosts of NPR's Code Switch, um, and is someone that we've been trying to get on the show for a while. Been a fan of his for a minute. Uh, Gene, what's good? What's good, you man? I'm so so glad to be able to do this with you, man. I'm a big fan. It's been a minute, man. I'm trying to get you on. You know, I'm glad you were able to make it. I know. You know what I mean? And again, you know, not everyone's seeing what I'm seeing. You might see this when we put the social videos out, but Gene looks like he's about to just spit the hottest, <laughs> spit the hottest 16 Charlie Clips loaded Lux. Like, I'm like bracing myself, you know what I mean, for what you're about to spit back at me. It's all fire. <laughs> like, turn my mic, turn my mic down. But thank you for having me, bro. First, this is really, really dope. I'm a big fan. I always love the conversations that I have on the show. So I'm honored. I hope I don't embarrass myself. Pleasure is mine, man. Is that the right thing to say? Pleasure is mine. <laughs> that feels like narcissistic as a motherfucker. You say the pleasure is all mine. <laughs> is, I mean, am I saying the idiom right? Yeah, I think that's it. But why, why would you say that? Because yeah. the pleasure is yours sounds even worse. Yeah, the pleasure is yours. It's like, yeah, you're blessed. You should be thankful for being in my space. But pleasure is mine means that I'm blessed to be in your company. All right. I'm glad we got that straight. And so before we got on, so this, we're going to talk about like misinformation 
and the importance of being literate on social media. And it's funny, before we got on, we were talking about like breakfast. Mm-hmm. I don't drink coffee. So when I go to Starbucks, I go there for oatmeal. Mm. Which is bananas, by the way. Yeah, that's what everyone says. I don't give a shit. That's where I get the oatmeal. That's the only place within like a three-mile square radius of where I live where I could get oatmeal, right? I guess I could make it at home, but okay. I like to get it at the Starbucks. But anyway, I do this when I'm trying to eat healthy, like when I'm trying to be like conscientious and mindful. I had like a weird blood pressure reading a couple months ago. And so I'm like trying to be more intentional oh, about at least my breakfast. Black man of a certain age, right? Yeah, I mean, 44. I'll be 45 in a couple months, you know? So you got to be on top of this shit. And so found out this morning, though, that eating oatmeal is basically like, I might as well just eat an entire cup of sugar. Because <laughs> it's carbs, right? It's like. Yeah. It, and that is not doing what I thought it was doing health wise. Mm-hmm. That is just a performance of healthiness. <laughs> I mean, it tastes healthy for sure, right? Yeah, it tastes healthy. But the thing is, I don't eat like the raw and cut oatmeal. I put sugar in it. Oh, yeah. You do the candy. Yeah, I put sugar in it. And I put like the dried fruit in it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm bringing this up because none of us are immune to misinformation. I mean, and it's not even just misinformation, but in the, in the case of oatmeal, it's like you could probably ask somebody else who is a like a health professional and get a completely different response, you know, like a different response on whether you should be oatmeal or not. It's like, how do you weigh those things against each other? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like you're talking about oatmeal, but like the moment we live in right now is like, we just don't have both the, no pun intended, the appetite to sort of, to sort of weigh these things against each other. Mm-hmm. It's actually just actually functionally really hard to just be like, is this information bullshit or is it, you know what I mean? It's just like, even if we wanted to, how would you even go about trying to verify something? Which is the wildest part about this moment. Well, I'm curious, like for you, we've both been online for a long time. Long time. I consider myself as about as literate social media wise as a person can get, but I still have gaps. I still have blind spots. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want to ask you, like, can you think of an example of something that was your oatmeal? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> something that you thought you were right about. <laughs> and then you did some more reads. Like, holy shit, I got bamboozled. I mean... The thing about being online is that, like, every day I think we get a new oatmeal. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, <laughs> like every time I'm on Instagram, you're just you get in this hydrant of content, right? And you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. this thing will come across the transom. You, like, won't even think about, like, what it is you just read. But then you're like, if you step back for a second, you're like, wait, is that bullshit? Like, as one example just, like, popped on my mind was uh, yesterday, just, you know, somebody screenshotted or, or shared on IG was, like, Beyonce's Renaissance tour generated like $4.5 billion for the American economy. I saw that. And I was like, oh, that's bananas. And then I was like, wait, what does that mean? Where did that number come from? <laughs> Who is seeing that money? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what, is, what does that even mean? But it's like, at that point, after you had that initial, like, you know, Renaissance is a big deal. Obviously, if you was on your stories all summer, you saw the sort of hodge that black women across the world were going on to CB. But like, it's just, every day is like a million little things like that. And it's like, wait, is that information I just consumed passively and very quickly? Is that a real thing? You know what I mean? And, you know, three months from now, maybe we might find out that, like, a number like that has all sorts of caveats, right? And, like, all sorts of qualifiers. But at that point, the thing is already spread out into the world. Like, it's basically undebunkable or unverifiable. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I feel like there's so much stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, just so many things just like that every day, a million little. And I think, you know, we all clown boomers, <laughs> For the way they move online and not understand how this stuff works. Like, we're all, like, swimming in this river of kind of not true stuff. Maybe not true stuff. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And so there's a type of confirmation bias where we surround ourselves and sconch ourselves in information that just makes us feel better, that already fits what we want to think, what we want to believe about the world. But then there's also information that we hear and we think that it just sounds true. Mm -hmm. And so we don't necessarily do any sort of due diligence or do any sort of, you know, fact checking because it sounds like, oh, well, it could be true. And then Beyonce number, that 4.5 billion, Mm -hmm. sounds like it should be true considering Mm -hmm. just how much people were engaged and how much people were into the Renaissance tour. And I saw that number yesterday also, and I didn't share it, but I could have. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? And I have no idea. Right. (laughs) Exactly. How that was tabulated. I have no idea where the original source of that was. Exactly. You know what I mean? No idea. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it sounds good. (laughs) Right. Exactly. We love Beyonce. (laughs) You know what I mean? So boom, you just share that number. Mm -hmm. And I think the other part of the sort of degraded information landscape that we live in is we live in an era of fandoms, right? Like, and so mm-hmm. to your point about like confirmation bias, because we like are consuming stuff sometimes that just tells us the stuff we want to hear, tells us about the people we like, about the stuff, people that we don't like. You think about in 2020, right? When people were talking about rethinking the police, right? Whether that was stuff like reform or whether that was like radical ideas, like abolishing the police, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the things I realized when we were engaging people with it was like, like I'm trying to talk policy with people or just ask questions. But you're actually engaging what a lot of people you're engaging with, the way they feel about law and order. <laughs> you're really like you're actually talking about how they feel about Lenny Briscoe and Mar- Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, um, like you're so much of the way that we live in the world is mediated, and people have really strong feelings about the media they consume. And so mm-hmm. you're actually talking about like material policy things, right? And what you're actually dealing with sometimes is like just media fandom, right? Like you talk about Barack Obama, you're talking about policy stuff. You're engaging with people who are fans of Barack Obama, right? Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is probably the, the sort of ultimate example, right? He was a celebrity before he was a, a politician, right? Mm-hmm. Magadam is literally just a fandom, right? You know, and so like you're not really engaging. Obviously, a bunch of substantive conversations you can have about what these people do with their power. We always got to remember that, like, uh, it's like talking to a bunch of you know Rihanna fans or talking to like Doja Cat fans, right? It's like you're talking to people who have a vested interest in this this person's branding and that has consequences for all of us and the way we get information and the way we can talk about stuff. And that's a great point is that it's so difficult to divorce personal feelings from facts, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the information, again, we're, we're just fed this like this fire hydrant information constantly from all these different sources, all these different platforms. The stuff that I think that penetrates is the stuff that feels good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The stuff that seems believable. The stuff that, you know, exists in the type of world that we would want to exist in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then there's also times when people can, I guess, perform the veneer. All right. An example. So the young woman, for clarity's sake, her name was Ro. And it's either Bash or Bashe, the pronunciation, how to pronounce her last name is a little unclear. Who was hit by a brick after rejecting a man's advances. Right. And it was like. The lead story on Twitter for like two weeks. Right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. This woman had to go fund me. You know, we had the video of her, you know, her head was swollen after getting hit by the brick. Mm-hmm. And then it became like this really amorphous war of battle of the hoteps versus, you know, everyone else. And it, and it became a thing. But okay. So a couple of weeks after, I guess, the dust had settled, people weren't really talking about it as much. There was a TikTok video. Mm hmm. From a very heavily tattooed white woman Mm -hmm. 
who basically had the receipts saying that this woman had a history of GoFundMes, a history of fraud, a history of deception. And everyone who already wanted to believe that this was some bullshit just ran with that. Mm -hmm. And I will admit that when I saw the TikTok and she had like the, you know, there's a particular voice Mm -hmm. that people adopt on TikTok where it's like, oh, there's been some facts right now. This is the truth. And so (laughs) when I saw the TikTok, I was like, shit, damn it. Mm -hmm. Fuck, we got bamboozled. Right. Because this woman obviously, very obviously is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. But then you look at the source and you see that this woman is actually like a men's rights activist. You know what I mean? And so because, you know. She has a vested interest in this attack on this woman being untrue, right? Yeah. Yes. But she had the aesthetic Mm -hmm. of like progressive truthfulness and she also adopted the voice Absolutely. that we associate with people who are conscientious people who are telling the truth mm-hmm. and again it fooled me for about a half hour until i went to her actual twitter page and i saw who she was following and i was like you know what maybe this person isn't the best source mm-hmm. for all of that but again it just speaks to how easily we could be misinformed to your point and to sort of full circle it back to the oatmeal point it was like two or three weeks ago i think it was the washington post did a story on how after all the studies came out about aspartame, right? About how aspartame is bad, right? Like, it's not good. Mm -hmm. A bunch of those companies hired basically Instagram and TikTok nutritionists to go on and talk about how aspartame was good, actually, right? And they did the thing you said. They had the aesthetic, right? They were like, Mm. you know, like pretty, but not like distractingly so, right? Like they had all the sort of like, all, you know, they looked like healthy, right? They looked like they were like moneyed upper middle class people, Mm -hmm. experts. And they were basically doing this information for companies that make money off of aspartame and like nobody knew what it was but they were like everywhere for like a couple weeks right after that study came out Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things like damn like had the Washington Post or whoever the the source was and this is sort of underlining my point like I don't even know what the source was but did a deep dive on the reporting about this misinformation being out there like we just would not have known there's just been like these competing facts about whether aspartame was good or not and then you realize that somebody again had a vested interest in this sort of disinformation. And I think that's like true of so much stuff. Like, so do you remember the show Playmakers? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like on ESPN. It was like on for one season about the NFL. Like one season, right? It was a hit. Yeah. It was ESPN's first foray into like scripted television. And NFL was like, fuck this. This is, <laughs> this is too real. We can't show this shit no more. Yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't see this shit no more. So Playmakers was a show about a fictional professional football team and so like in behind the scenes in the locker room so it was about you know some of the dudes were using PEDs some of them like were closeted it was a whole thing right like it was just like mm-hmm. a, a drama supposed to be like you know a gritty prestige drama about an NFL locker room and the NFL was like absolutely not y'all can't do this shit no more mm-hmm. and it kind of came out of nowhere that they got killed because it was you know it was a popular show and then you sort of sit back a second and you look at like the NFL it's like just as an example it's like one of those giant players in American media, right? Like, it's like they, every single network, mm. NBC runs Sunday Night Football, right? ESPN runs Monday Night Football, like Fox has football, CBS has football, Amazon has football, right? They are the 800-pound gorilla in a lot of American media. And so, like, they can kind of kill anything they don't like, right? Then you realize that, like, when you watch ESPN, you're consuming any content about the NFL, you are consuming content being made by media partners of this giant sort of entity. Mm-hmm that basically cuts out our ability to have conversations about the NFL that aren't just about, it's just not fan behavior, right? So Mm -hmm. um, Deshaun Watson, right? Quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. 
is allegedly a serial sexual assaulter, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no place in the mainstream media landscape that covers the NFL where you can actually hear a conversation about people grappling with that because they don't want to piss off the NFL. And of course, in the age of streaming, the NFL, you know, live football games are money in the bank. You got to pay money for advertisements, right? Like, yeah. no network is trying to piss them off. And so you just get this sort of coverage, this like overheated coverage of the NFL that never touches on anything real ever, never touches on this kind of stuff, never touches on labor stuff. So we live in this, like the other side of the sort of degraded information environment is that there are also like giant corporations, right? Who like have a vested interest in nobody fucking up their branding, right? Mm -hmm. And other media players who need those corporations, right? And so when you talk about, whenever I go on one of my rants about Kobe Bryant and how Kobe Bryant's legacy was a rebranding effort around his rape case, right? Like, it's a thing that is, yeah. I get a lot of blowback for something that's like not, I'm not, that's not even opining. That's like a thing we know to be true, right? Like, yeah. but because we live in this landscape in which there's basically no regular, just critical engagement with those kind of facts, right? It's just like, that's where we are all the time in every part of our media lives. Yeah, that's where we just, where we are all the time. Now, and I'm glad you bring up the NFL because like, you know, there's this, narrative this conspiracy that like the NFL games, professional sports games are scripted or predetermined or rigged or whatever. And the people who believe that are like so close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like they are so close because the games themselves are pretty much you, you see what it is. It's competition, people competing. Mm-hmm. It is what it is, but everything else is scripted. Everything else mm-hmm. is a conspiracy. Everything else is predetermined. All the conversations about the game, like you mentioned the song Watson, and you know, I watched when the Steelers played the Browns. Mm-hmm. I think it was week two. And whenever, I think it was Chris Collinsworth who was calling the game, he was doing the color for the game, would refer to Deshaun Watson's absence. Mm-hmm. It was adversity. Right, exactly. Like this nebulous <laughs> adversity, you know what I mean? And not like the specifics of it. Absolutely. And, and it's funny, you know, just speaking about sports in particular, Malika Andrews, who does NBA games, has come under hot water on the internet because she actually articulates things. Yes. She doesn't say adversity. She'll actually say, oh, you were arrested for... Dozens of... Yeah, exactly. Whatever. And she'll actually name the thing. And people are so used to not hearing that that they figure that this person has like an agenda, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? When it's just, they're literally just speaking facts, mm-hmm. like the things that you could find anywhere, but we're just so not used to hearing that when we consume sports, that it's jarring. And it's like, okay, th- who's this woman who is paying her? What agenda does she have? And it gets to the point about the depths of fandom, right? It's like people think is that there's a conspiracy, the NFL to, to fix games because their team didn't win or they like lost a bet, right? It's like, that's how fandom works. It's like, oh, this information is counter what I want to happen. There's obviously malign forces at play. You know what I'm saying? First of all, as an aside, how would you even script the NFL games? It's the most complicated shit in the world. Like, how would you even, like, you're going to fumble on this, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you would need so many people that would have to be on the take. So many, all the referees, all the players, all the coaches. So we're talking about several hundred people at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, following the same script, and that—that's just not possible. You could—I mean—you could barely get fucking five niggas to keep <laughs> dinner plans <laughs> <laughs> or, or keep a secret. 
you know, without well, someone, you know, messing up or someone forgetting their card at home or, or something. <laughs> so you're 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 asking a bunch of like twenty two year olds. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? To keep a secret mm-hmm. and, and perform this vast conspiracy to fool the entire world each time they play. It's like, nah, that, that shit ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Back with more after the break. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. So as someone who, again, has been online a lot and has seen a lot, still gets fooled sometimes, but I consider myself pretty you know, in the top 1% of social media literacy. <laughs> I'm sure you do too. For sure. I think they think so. You know, in the top 1%. For sure, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so it's it's hard to kind of put like a, a methodology behind being able to discern like what's real, what's fake. But can you try? Yeah, I mean, on the, the most basic thing is like, maybe because I'm a newsroom person, but like, who is telling me this and why, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, as we just talked about, like, it's actually just hard to ascertain who was telling you some stuff sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, if you can figure out who the person is that is telling you the thing, like, part of the reason all this stuff is hard is, like, we just live in a moment of, like, context loss, right? It's like you just, something is retweeted or reposted or, like, by the time you see it as a meme in, your, in somebody's stories, like, it's already so removed from the context in which it happened. is actually really hard. Mm-hmm. But I think who was telling me this and why is always really useful, right? Because like if, if it's something that's very aggrandizing, you already you know at the very least that this is this is information that is not accidentally coming across your field of vision, right? It's like it's something that this person, these or whoever or this organization or whatever has put out into the world. Mm-hmm. But the next thing is like, especially with numbers, right? The $4.5 billion with Beyonce, right? Like what work is this doing, right? Like 
are we trying to turn B into the one good billionaire? You know what I'm saying? Like, we, like is that what's happening there? It's like, oh, she 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 made jobs. You know what I'm saying? She got like she got all this money mm-hmm. to the economy. She like she, you know what I'm saying? Like America was in the economic doldrums, and then here come B, and it's like one of those things. It was like it's actually the only thing we see a lot with billionaires. It's sort of this campaign to make them lovable, right? Or they're like bestowing and bequeathing their largesse unto us mm-hmm. with their genius or whatever. I know I'm not trying to shit on B in particular, right? But it's just like, there's like several things happening there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and of course, because she has such a, a loyal um, and activated fan base, it makes it hard to ask those questions, right? But those questions should be asked. And the other part of it is, like, it's like the functionality of the places in which we would be having these conversations, at least on Twitter before the everything happened. Mm-hmm. Like there could be a place for discourse, but like, you can't really do that in the comment sections on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like those places are cesspools and the people who post the stuff, you know, the fan accounts, but just like the media accounts who post the stuff, they don't care about moderating. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, just, so it's actually really hard to push back on the stuff, but it is really, I think, important that we consider just how and why we are seeing stuff and consuming stuff the way we're consuming it. And so much of, like, you, I mean, you made this really great point, but, because fandoms and anti-fandoms, right? Like, I don't fuck with these people. Like, that's a really animating, powerful, uh, activating force. Like, I believe this because you're saying something bad about somebody I don't like. Those are really powerful things, right? Uh, they sort of, like, make us turn off our skeptical brain. And I think, I don't know, like, we are in trouble if we don't figure out some way to, like, to sort of navigate this world in which all this stuff is more fractured and more fragmented. You know what I mean? Like, we got to figure out some way to, like, actually engage with how to be in the world when everything is possibly bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and to your point, I mean, it's we're using examples like the NFL and the woman who was hit by the break. Obviously, that's a domestic situation that's very serious. And the NFL is a sports league that, you know, lots of people are involved in. That's a, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. But those are just small examples of how this misinformation can spread and become viral and can have material effects on our day-to-day lives. For sure. You know, obviously, politically, you know, we have, major elections coming up mm-hmm. and things that shit that can't be believed, shit that won't be believed, you know, say what you want about Kabbalah, Harris and Biden or whatever, because, you know, there's obviously many, many different ways to criticize them. But there are certain like strange narratives about how they haven't done anything for like Republicans have done more, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And and it's like, no, this is actually not right at all. There's so many different ways you could criticize these people, but that criticism is a lie. Mm-hmm. But people who want to believe it, believe it, and then spread it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I mean, and that's just one example. Yeah, campaign season is like the worst. I mean, it's always like the... It's especially paramount with politics, with just how we interact with each other, with just the tenor of the conversations that we have with each other. And I don't see it becoming better anytime soon. You know, Twitter is what it is, but, you know, it's been considerably worse since the South African decided to buy it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And Twitter was, you know, of the social media platforms was the one that, I guess, of the popular social media platforms was the one that you were most likely to get something real Mm -hmm. or at least be able to figure out that something was not real. Absolutely. Because it's just so difficult to discern those things when you see something on IG or when you see something on Facebook or when you see something on TikTok. Now, obviously, people have verified profiles. 
and then you could source, you know, things linked back to some verified news site or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always happen. In fact, that rarely happens. How often is are people looking, clicking through all the links to get back to the, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, it's funny, in almost like a full circle moment, you know, Facebook was considered like the cesspool, like the main source for all the misinformation. Mm-hmm. But of the social media platforms that exist, Facebook is still the one where you, you actually mostly have to be a real person to post. Right, because you're there's a different kind of social consequence, right, and social friction, right? Yeah, and it's it is a weird thing where it's like you have people who are posting misinformation that they got from other sources, but these are real people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas you go to like IG, you go to Twitter, you have no idea these are real fucking people. Like, yeah, you went to high school with this cat. Like, you have no idea who this person on IG is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And the thing is, you went to high school with this cat, and you know that you know what. Maybe I'm not going to call, but I could. Mm-hmm. I could actually be like, yo, I'm, let me just call this nigga and see exactly. and, and talk right. to him and let him know that right, some exactly. bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's just a connection that you just don't really have on the other platforms. For sure. And that's the flip side of that is that's actually what makes the misinformation that does spread on, the, on Facebook when it did, like, powerful. Because, like, oh, this is somebody I know and trust. And they're saying this stuff, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When my baby was a newborn, and I was trying to rock him to sleep all the time. I never was on Reddit like that until, like, I just needed Tom to kill when I was, like, bleary-eyed. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole subreddit called QAnon Casualties. And it was just, I'm assuming they're white people, but there's just a bunch of people talking about how their parents got radicalized by QAnon mm-hmm. from Facebook. It was because somebody they knew said something. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's part of the the way misinformation spreads in those spaces. Like, obviously, there's friction. Like, they have they can deal with social consequence. Like, people might stop fucking with you, like, because you talk about QAnon all the time. But a whole bunch of people... Mm might actually like, oh, this is what's such and such for church and I really respect them. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it supercharges the misinformation in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, usually like, you know, have a subject like this, you know, we're talking about like all the ways that it's fucked up and Mm -hmm. the ways that it's continuing to get fucked up. And, you know, you structure these conversations with like a sort of solution at the end. Like, you know, well, this is fucked up, (laughs) but this is what we need to do. This is what we could do to make it better. And with this shit, yeah, man. Like I am at a loss in terms of like how it's going to get better. I mean, do you have anything? No, because like a lot of the stuff that happened in journalism, and obviously journalism is not perfect, right? But like it was self policing, right? Like it was like, yeah, if we were running a certain kind of story, we had to run up by our lawyers. Like, can we say this? Like, you can't say this. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. editors are like, you can't publish this. You need. This has to be sourced. You need three different things. You know what I'm saying? Like all sorts of really important journalism never sees the light of day because you can't, because it's like, it doesn't meet the, the the sort of threshold, right? Yeah. And obviously because everyone can make media now, like people are not yeah. constrained in that way, right? There's nobody to be like, yo, like you can't say this shit, right? Like, and there's no, I don't know, like, because so much of, for all the problems in journalism, the only real mechanisms we had was self-policing and a threat of being sued. You know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. With all the content out there in the world now, like, why would a content creator who you can't, like you said, you can't ID, why would they feel any sort of like compunction and be like, nah, I'm not going to say that? And if you can't ID them, you can't sue them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are like the sort of like individual institutional checks on misinformation? There aren't any, right? And I was just watching this video, Phil Lewis, who was like <laughs> Black Twitter's uh, front page, <laughs> was talking to one of my colleagues, Summer, the other day on a video, and he was saying that there's, what we see is this growing 
people don't have any allegiance to any particular news organizations anymore, right? Like, they're like, oh, I'm not going to get my news from CNN because of the brand. And I trust the brand. I'm not getting my news from whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the institutional, like, reputation, right? Like, the reputation hit that can come by. You know, like, the New York Times has gotten dinged on reputation stuff a million times, right? And they've had to, like, correct whether it was Jason Blair, whether it was um, Judith Miller. Like, it was like, people say wrong shit and it has real consequences for all sorts of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. but... You know, like for the people who who spread that misinformation when we talk about the traditional news media, again with all the flaws of traditional news media, but I don't know what that what that means in the context of you know what I mean, like just you know your twenty year old on the internet, just you know what I'm saying, like saying some stuff. You know, and the point you brought up with Jason Blair, New York Times, and also how these traditional news media platforms, the Times, the uh, the Washington Post, places like that, have had whistles blown mm-hmm. on them recently. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the Washington Post, which I used to work for, is owned by Jeff Bezos. And, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. right. have as much day-to-day influence over, you know, the day-to-day operations of the Post. But, but you know, who knows yeah, what exactly. he's able to say and what he's able to do with that sort of platform and that sort of influence. Yeah, does, does the Post talk about the conditions in the Amazon? You know what I'm saying? Like, do they, do they like, little, maybe, like, I mean, it's hard to say. But I guess I'm wondering, though, like, we talk about this, like, as, like, you know, one of the reasons why it is so difficult to trust things today is because, you know, we don't have like an anchoring force with traditional media. You mentioned you don't know if young people even go to like a New York Times or like Washington Post or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like their anchoring news source. And one of the reasons why is because they've lost credibility because of all these, you know, whistleblowers that have, you know, existed in the last mm-hmm. decade, decade and a half or so. And so, but I'm wondering, like, is the credibility defect or the credibility gap is it something that has always existed Mm. and i guess what i'm saying is like okay so you have these sources these papers these traditional sources of you know information that have gotten these things Mm -hmm. and the thing is traditionally 30 40 50 years ago maybe they didn't have as many dings Mm -hmm. but maybe 30 40 50 years ago they should have too. And it's just that now you have more people who are able to like, actually, this is some bullshit. For sure. Actually, this story is fucked up. Actually, this editor is biased. Actually, this motherfucking hit editor is a racist. So you can't trust anything that comes from his whatever. There's so many institutional biases in yeah. traditional media. Like me and Joe Anderson, my boy Joe Anderson, one of my good friends, talk about this all the time. But like when you are starting out as, at a newspaper, at a local paper at a lot of places, one of the first things they might do is put you on the cop speed. You know what I'm saying? You're doing ride-alongs with cops. You're working in a cop shop. You're talking to the cops. Mm-hmm. And, like, just as one example of, the, like, the sort of old shit they should have been dinged on, like, you just have generations of people who are basically stenographers for the cops. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And so the way we talk, you know, I, I joked about Mariska Hargitay and, uh, and Lenny Briscoe, but, like, the other part of that was, like, the news media was very, very credulous about the police for a long time because they needed to be in the room with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. people criticize the the people in the White House briefing room about that all the time. It's like, yo, like, you know, you're, part of what you're doing is just cozying up the people that you should probably be really antagonistic towards. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. but it's, like, a privilege to be in the room and to, like, you know what I mean? And so people treat it as this kind of, like, like, all those biases, you know, they get us in the wars. They get us into terrible criminal justice policy. They get us, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Like, the credibility thing has always been there. Yeah. And there's this idea that we are kind of lost in the woods right now. But, you know, I feel like we kind of always have been. And it's just that, you know, maybe, again, decades ago, we were anchored, but we were anchored by lies. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And now there's there's less of a tether. There's less of an anchor. 
And so we feel less settled, less secure than we were, again, decades ago. But we were never secure. Mm -hmm. We were never actually secure. It's just finally now we're realizing it. And social media is just exacerbating that general sense of just we were just kind of just floating. Absolutely. For sure. (laughs) We're just floating out there trying to find something that's real, trying to find something we can hold on to. And there's just less and less of it to do that with. Absolutely. For sure. Like, you know, you and I are both both the same age. So, like, you remember, like, you know, late ages, low 90s was like, you know, just say no, blah, blah, blah. Like, which is like the way we covered drugs, right? And that time was like so overheated. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you grew up at a certain time, that's the messaging you were getting. Yeah. But like, you know, that was happening on the evening news in your local paper and like the morning news, right? But like today, there's this, the tempo of shit that we are consuming that we don't even realize we're consuming. It's happening constantly. You know what I'm saying? Like, you wake up in the morning, you turn on your phone. You know what I'm saying? Like, IG is set up in a way where I can't even see the people I actually follow. So, like, I'm going through a whole bunch of stuff that I, it's kind of adjacent to the stuff I might follow. So, you're just passively just drinking from the hydrant. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just so much stuff to be on point about all the time. Where it's like, before you can, like, you might have had a space where you, you could just stop the sort of, it was it was always a hydrant, but it wasn't what we have now, which is like a, a dam bursting. It's like, you just can't ever get ahead of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and IG thing is funny. Like, so there's a person who um you've been trying to get as a guest on the show. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been DMing them a little bit for the last couple of weeks. Now, this is a person we follow each other on IG. And this wasn't a person that was like one of my close friends. I wasn't like on their page a lot. Their page didn't come up in my feed a lot. Their stories weren't like the first ones to show up. Right, right, right. But because of DMing over the last couple of weeks, now when I go to IG in the morning, their page is one of the first to pop up. Mm-hmm. If I check my stories, their story is one of the first to populate. Mm-hmm. And it's just. <laughs> yeah, man. You just see how scripted mm-hmm. all this shit is. You know how scripted the algorithm is and how the information that we get, the information received, it's targeted. When you go on TikTok, right? You ever, I mean, first, TikTok is wild. But if you ever go in there, if I watch a Damon Young TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. TikTok is fucking terrifying. We start serving up videos from bearded black dudes who are spectacular <laughs> with glasses. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, literally, it's like, it's so specific. It's terrifying. Like, it's like, yo, I clicked on one person's video and y'all found, first of all, how do you 100 motherfuckers like this on TikTok? <laughs> but it's like, it's like, yo, there's a whole genre of Damon Youngs out there. And like, not just like, in terms of the content they create, it's like literally y'all look exactly the same. It's like, it's it's funny, but it's it's terrifying. It's like, oh, you like this? You like this? Oh, we're going to give you all of this. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, it's just different fonts. That's, that's all. It's different fonts. It's just different fonts. <laughs> You're like, I'm saying Serif they, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Gene Denby, thank you. Thank you for coming through. Appreciate you, bro. Trying to get you on the show. Been a fan for a minute, you know, so thank you. Thank you for coming through. Very honored to be here. I'm a huge fan of yours and all the work you do, bro. I, I appreciate your voice. Like, not the like fanboy too much, but like, I appreciate your voice as a voice of like humor um, and reason. Like, and just, you know, again, we talk about bullshit. There's so much bullshit out there. And I always feel like you're one of the the, the people out there that I can always rely on to say some like real and helpful and thoughtful shit. So thank you for what you do. I appreciate that. And I'll say this before we leave. Speaking of Twitter, you had a Twitter thread probably about like six, seven years ago now about the police mm. that I've actually brought up in conversations. Oh, wow. People talk about like, 
okay, how black people are harassed by the police, you know, we get stopped more by the police. And then the response is, well, if you look at the stats, white people are actually, they're actually stopped more, are actually killed more. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you had a thread where you broke down exactly what we should be looking for and why that statistic doesn't necessarily tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And just to paraphrase it, it was basically saying, you know, okay, so let's say you're a black person. Okay, random black person gets stopped, let's say, 10 times for every one time that a white person gets stopped. Mm -hmm. Okay. And let's say nine of those interactions, 90% of those interactions are going to be just whatever. It's fine. You go go about your day, whatever. Nothing happens. Mm -hmm. But that 10%, and because you have so many more interactions, you increase your likelihood of that 10% happening. Absolutely. You increase your likelihood of that one bad interaction or that one violent cop or that one terrified cop mm -hmm. because of the increase of interactions. Right. Right. It's almost like playing the lottery. Like the more you play, the more tickets you buy, the more tickets you buy, the, the higher the likelihood is of winning. And that's, it's just a numbers game. Right. Absolutely. I've used that thread and I've brought it up in conversations in a conversation with a room full of white people, actually, before once about the police. And so, thank you for that. Oh, man, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, sometimes you, you don't know if anybody's ever reading this stuff. And like, I just got, I'm like, I need to say this to say it, but who knows if anybody's reading it. So, I, it means a lot that it matters. You know what I'm saying? Like, so much of what we try to do at Coast Witch is just try to add some sense to the, you know what I'm saying, to the cacophony and like, mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to figure out whether or not any of it ever cuts through. You know what I'm saying? So that means a lot. All right. Appreciate you, bro. All right, man. Again, just want to thank Gene Demby coming through. Great conversation. Great guest. Um, thank you all, too. You know, could have been anywhere else in the world. But you chose to be here with us. Stuck with David Young. So thank you for that. Again, you can find Stuck with Damon Young anywhere where you can find your podcast. But if you're on Spotify, particularly if you're on the Spotify app, there are some interactive questions, answers, polling. Go ahead, knock yourself out, have some fun with that. And again, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at DearDamon at Crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and mastering by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall Stressler.